Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Stralo, and uh, I'm a volunteer here at Arlington Countryside Church, and I just want to take a moment to welcome you all in. Uh, thanks for tuning in today, no matter where you're coming from, and we really hope today's service is an opportunity to uh, feel some joy and some community uh, in the midst of everything that's going on in the world right now. Somewhere on your screen uh, is, a, is a link uh, to go ahead uh, and fill out the communication card, uh, and I'd encourage you to do that, and I would also encourage you to take a moment to write uh, if there's any uh, prayer requests that you might have. We would love to pray for you as a church, and it's just another great opportunity for us to come together right now. Uh, and now uh, we are going to go ahead and do our Advent reading for the week. Today's readings are from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of joy and there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon and as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There, the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in, in the wilderness, and, stream, and streams will water the wasteland. The, pro, the parcher ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh, grass, and wheat, and reeds, and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever.
Have you ever had the experience of not liking someone, of not getting along with them, but somehow you turned a corner and somehow over the course of time, you ended up becoming good friends? I had that experience uh, a number of years ago. There was a guy uh, at the YMCA, I played basketball early mornings at the Y, and there was this other dude we just didn't get along, and it was weird. We just didn't like each other, but we didn't have a particular reason why we didn't like each other. It was just like oil and water. The chemistry wasn't there, and whether we were on the same team or opposing teams, you could just, I don't know, you could just tell we annoyed each other, you know? And um, But that's about all there was to it, until one day uh, there was a, uh, a call made, and, and we started arguing a little bit, and then we started really yelling at each other, and actually got in each other's faces and um, I lost my temper. And that was really kind of uncharacteristic of both of us. Uh, you know, we typically weren't like that, so I don't know what the deal was that day. But um, the next time we got together later in the week to play basketball again, um, I approached uh, Glenn and apologized. I, I just said, I talked to you in a way I'm ashamed of. I shouldn't have talked to you that way, and I was wrong. I wanted to apologize. And he received my apology very uh, graciously, and then it was weird. From that point on, there was like a, like a mutual respect, and, um, and we actually became friends and we enjoyed being around each other to the point where um, eventually um, uh, he uh, got engaged and he asked me to officiate his wedding. So I did his premarital counseling, I got to meet his fiance and get to know her, and I officiated his wedding ceremony and it was pretty cool. But it was just neat to see where the relationship had come from this basic rooted dislike of each other to a mutual respect, really liking each other and counting each other as friends. Well, that's a very practical picture of reconciliation. That's what reconciliation means, to move from hostility towards friendship. And today what we're doing, the carol that we're focusing on today points us to the reconciliation that took place between us and God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Our carol today is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I love this carol. It's probably a favorite of yours as well. Um, give you a little background on the song. It was originally written by Charles Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church Methodism. Um, and he originally wrote this song in the year 1739. And he was just a baby Christian. He wrote this within a year of his own crossing the line of faith. And um, in the course of Charles Wesley's life, he sang over, he uh, wrote over 6,000 hymns. And so if you've ever been in the church much or used a hymn book very much, you've probably sang a number of the songs that he penned. Um, this song in particular was revised by a guy named George Whitfield in the year 1753. And over the course of about the first 120 years of this song, it was sung to various tunes until 
Um, about 120 years later, it was paired with the music of a guy by the name of Felix Mendelssohn, and it's the tune we're familiar with now. And so check out the first verse of this song. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Okay, some old English words here we typically don't use, so just to be clear, okay, the meaning of hark, herald, and angel. Okay, hark uh, is an old English way of saying listen or pay attention. Hark. Uh, herald uh, was an official messenger, usually from a king or a royalty, who would send an official messenger out onto the public square to yell and give a, an important message, give important information. So it was a messenger. So it's saying, hey, listen, pay attention to this heavenly official messenger. And then an angel is merely a spirit being uh, created by God that serves God, okay? And so hark the herald, that's what the angel was doing, the type of angel it was. It was a messenger, um, and we're to listen to the message. Well, the, in this song, there's a ton of excellent, rock-solid theology, truth about God, truth about the good news of Jesus Christ. And today, for our purposes, I want to focus I want to unwrap the generous gift of reconciliation. And that phrase there in the first verse, God and sinners reconciled. Theologically, biblically, the word reconciliation denotes this. It, it denotes to change. And it's the shift of going from deep-seated ill will to Friendship, And that's the gift that God gives each of us that I want you to receive this Christmas, as this song reminds us, to move from deep-seated ill will towards friendship with God. And so in our time together, I want to share with you seven life-changing truths about the gift of reconciliation, okay? Seven life-changing truths. And we're going to go to two passages of Scripture in the New Testament, first to the book of Romans and then to the book of 2 Corinthians to learn some real important truths about reconciliation. So why don't we read the passage in Romans first? It's Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. There is so much here. Check it out. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. That's the best news you're going to hear in your entire life. 
okay? This gift of reconciliation that was brought to us through Christ. And the first truth about reconciliation is simply this. We need it. We need this reconciliation, something fierce. And you can pick it up in this passage of Scripture by uh, the descriptive words used for us, for you and I as human beings. First of all, in verse 6, note that we're called helpless. In the eyes of God, spiritually, you and I are helpless. Now, when we use that phrase, when, when we call somebody helpless, oftentimes we're thinking of like somebody who's just like totally incompetent, right? They're pathetic. And we say, man, that person is helpless. We also use the term helpless like in regards to like a tiny infant, a tiny baby. They're, they're vulnerable. They, they can't do anything for themselves. And we, we would say a, an infant is completely helpless. But I want to propose to you that there is nothing, nothing, no one more helpless than a dead person. Okay? Than a dead person. Uh, a dead man can't do anything. It's the epitome of helplessness. And you see, the New Testament teaches that we as human beings are spiritually dead before we come to Christ. We're spiritually dead. We can't lift a finger. We can't do a thing. That we are completely cut off from God. We're completely cut off from a spiritual life. We're completely cut off from a relationship with him. We are dead, and therefore, we are completely helpless. Now, you see, people deceive themselves because they can get very religious, and they can perform a lot of different religious rituals. They can act very religious. They can read their Bible. They can get baptized. They can take communion. They can say certain prayers, and and, and they think of themselves as very religious and all these religious acts as, as being things they're doing to earn God's favor. But God's Word makes clear those things don't do anything towards reconciling us to God, that we are helpless. We can't help ourselves. And you see, when you know you're helpless, anyone who feels helpless quickly falls into hopelessness and despair. Man, that's what brings about hopelessness and despair is when a person uh, feels completely helpless. But you see, the good news of Jesus has to begin with bad news, right? And no one gets saved until they realize they need to be saved. And so we need to get to the end of ourselves and realize, I've got nothing to offer. I can't lift a finger spiritually. I am absolutely helpless. And so even though that sounds like, okay, that could lead to hopelessness and despair, that truth is essential for us to cling to because then it allows us to be open to what God wants to do in our life. But we are helpless. Now, also here, we need reconciliation so bad because in verses 6 and 8, we're called sinners. Now, no one enjoys being called a sinner, right? But that's an accurate description description for us. And the reason why is because the word sinner means to miss the mark, to aim for something but not hit it. And so have you ever lusted? Have you ever hated? Have you ever used God's name in vain? Have you ever been unkind or said an unkind word? Of course, right? We've we've all done things like that. You see, we've all 
missed the mark. And none of us have loved God the way that we should. None of us have consistently 100% of the time loved others the way that we should. And so even though we might not like being called sinners, it's accurate. That's what we are. We've missed the mark of what God has laid out of what he expects from us. And so the bottom line is we desperately need to be reconciled to God. We need this gift of reconciliation. You can be given certain gifts at Christmas that you don't really need, don't really know what to do with. This is a gift that every one of us desperately needs, okay? So the first life-changing truth, we need it. Now here's the second truth about reconciliation, that Christ's death accomplished it. And we see this in verse 10, where it says, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. I want you to note here that we are reconciled to him. He's not reconciled to us. In other words, we're the offending party. God doesn't need reconciliation. We need reconciliation to him. And the basis for our reconciliation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, we're going to get uh, more into this when we get to the other passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. So that's all I'm going to say there, okay? But Christ's death accomplished it. Now, here's the third life-changing truth about reconciliation. It's permanent, all right? It's permanent. In Christ, we are secure. And in verse 10, it says, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. If his death restores the relationship, then his resurrection through his life, we will certainly be saved. You see, once you're reconciled to God, we can't fall out of favor. He died, but now he lives to be our advocate. And once you become a Christian, you know as well as I do, you don't become perfect, you still mess up, you still sin, but our relationship with God has changed and now we're alive spiritually and we're reconciled to him permanently and we will always be friends. He will never leave us and it's a permanent reconciliation. You see, if our salvation was up to me to keep it, I wouldn't be saved for 24 hours straight, you know, because I'm an imperfect person. I'm weak and I'm broken and and, and so if it was up to us and our good behavior to keep our reconciliation with God intact, we'd all be in a boatload of trouble, okay? And that's why the work of Jesus in being raised from the dead and living is that because he lives, he keeps our reconciliation with God secure, and it's not something we have to worry about. And so we can enjoy the continual benefits of reconciliation because of our risen Savior. You and I are secure in Christ. It's permanent. All right. Now, to look at the next four life-changing truths, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ 
who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Wow, there's a lot there to unpack. The fourth, life the fourth life-changing truth about reconciliation is that God initiates it, that our reconciliation was started proactively by God himself. Verse 18, it says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. It's a gift from him. It's not something we've earned this reconciliation through our good deeds and our religiosity. It's a gift that God's given us. We didn't deserve it, but he provided it for us. And again, note that he's not reconciled to us. We are reconciled to him. We are the offending party. It's not one of these situations where both parties need to apologize to each other and then they can be friends. There's just a one-way apology needed from us to him, right? And God initiates that reconciliation. Now, understand that God didn't merely respond to please, like uh, begging from us to, to be reconciled. He took the initiative and reconciled us, provided the way for reconciliation before we were even giving a thought to God in our lives. I know sometimes, uh, I know in my mind, maybe you've thought this way true. I, I think it's a common mischaracterization to, to have this idea that God is like a grumpy old man and he's really disappointed in us and he's really kind of ticked off at us because of how much we screw up, right? But then Jesus was like his hip young son. He was more chill. He was cooler. He was a lot more understanding, who kind of stepped in between us and God and said, Dad, Dad, I'll take care of this. Hey, I really love these people, and I don't want you to squash them. And so, you know, I want to present myself. I'll help out in any way I can. I'll be willing to come to earth. I'll be willing to die. And, you know, and, and sometimes we kind of picture the role between God the Father and Jesus and us, like in that kind of light. But nothing could be further from the truth. And the reason why is because God the Father sent his son. It was his idea. He initiated the sending of Jesus into the world that first Christmas morning for the express purpose of bringing reconciliation to you and I. And so God loves us, God cared about us, and God provided the answer to our hostility between us and him. Fifth truth is this. Reconciliation is available to all. It's available to all. Verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Reconciling who? It says the world. That's a pretty all-inclusive statement, right? But the finished work of Christ reconciled virtually the entire human race. In the history of the human race, everyone was provided reconciliation through the death of Christ. And so it's available to everyone. Now, I want you to understand it's available to everyone, but it hasn't been applied to everyone yet. You see, uh, there's a, 
a false doctrine, a, a heresy called universalism. And universalism teaches that, hey, Jesus died for everybody. God loves the entire world. Reconciliation was provided for the whole world. So I'm good. You're good. Everybody is good because Jesus died. It's not quite true, okay? Because while reconciliation has been, the opportunity for reconciliation has been provided for virtually everyone, the way you appropriate that, rec that reconciliation in your life is through faith in Christ. There must be a personal response. There must be a personal belief. So you see, it's not enough today to simply know these facts and to hear me and believe the scriptures that Christ reconciled the world to himself. You got to know that. But then you need to appropriate it. You need to take it for yourself. And that's through believing Jesus was the Son of God, believing he died on the cross in our place, and that he rose again from the dead to give us new life and bring us into a reconciled relationship with his Father. And so we have to respond. Because you see, the sin problem in our life has been taken care of through Christ. All that's left is the son problem. The sin problem's been taken care of. Christ's death on the cross. The only thing left is what I would call the son problem. Look at John 3, verse 36. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. And so you see, Jesus died for us all. And so in a very real sense, the only unforgivable sin is unbelief. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, how much you've screwed up. It doesn't matter about your past, okay? Because Jesus died for all of your sins. All that's left is for you to humbly bow before him and believe in him, trust in him. And in a sense, that's the only unforgivable sin, uh, is a lack of belief. But if you're willing to place your trust in him, everything's taken care of. It's available to all. Sixth truth is this. Its message is assigned to us. The task of bringing this incredible good news is given to all of us who have already received the reconciliation. And so that's why in verse 20 it says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. A few years ago, I discovered a little restaurant in this immediate area. I'd never been there before. I'd driven by it hundreds of times. Never went there. Finally went there. It was the best food I had ever tasted. The best tasting Italian food I have ever tasted. Everything in this place tastes fantastic. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I'd gone by it so many times and never stopped there. But man, do I enjoy the meals there. And the first time I had a meal there, I was blown away. And you know what was funny? For about a week or two after my first visit, I told everybody I knew about this place, especially those I was close to. And I was like, hey, have you ever been to such and such a place? You got to stop in there. And I told them about my meal. Because you know what? When there's a satisfied customer, 
It's just natural. You want to share the good news with others, right? Like if you find a good sale, you tell your friends. If you find a good place to eat or drink, you tell your friends, right? And so for those of us who've been reconciled to God and we understand the riches we receive in Christ and all the, all the blessings we receive in Christ, we're like satisfied customers. We've been reconciled to God when we didn't think there was any way we could be. And our striving, our religious good deeds, we, we can rest. We can stop. We don't have to try earning his favor anymore. We've been reconciled through the death of Christ. And so we're satisfied customers. Well, now it's natural for us. We need to turn around and share that message of reconciliation with others. We're the best spokespeople because we're satisfied customers. It's a good reminder for us that the good news of Jesus is naturally outward focused. That once you receive it for yourself, you're tasked with turning around and sharing it with others. Family, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, that we love them with the love of Christ and say, hey, I know how you can get in touch with God the way I've gotten in touch with God. We all need to grow in sharing our faith. And you know what? We need to be praying for those in our life who don't know him. And we need to be building relational bridges with those who don't know him and serving those and, 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 and just telling them, hey, God's loved me, God's made a difference in my life, and he can do the same for you. And so we all need to be growing because he's given us this responsibility to share the message. Finally, the final life-changing truth about reconciliation is this. Number seven, Christ's death accomplished it. I say, wait a minute, that was already a point. You're repeating yourself, Dave. Aha! That's an old communication trick, right? That repetition um, teaches, right? That rep repetition emphasizes importance. And this is so important, I have the exact same point twice because it was emphasized in Romans 5 and now it's emphasized here again that it is only by Christ's death that reconciliation can take place. And verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we might be made right with God through Christ. You see, this is the wonderful, incredible, great exchange that took place when Christ died on the cross. What happened was this. The sins that you and I have committed, the hate, the unkind words, all the things in our life that we're ashamed of, that we're embarrassed by, that fall short of God's standards, all of our sin was placed upon Jesus. Even though he didn't sin himself, he was perfect. He led a perfect life. He didn't deserve to die. He was the scapegoat. He, had, he was the sacrifice. All our sins were put on him, but it doesn't stop there because on the cross, what also took place was through his death and resurrection, not only did he take on our sin, but we received his perfection. We received his righteousness. So that was a great exchange. He took our imperfection. We took his perfection. And that's what makes us reconciled. The efficacy of Christ's death is crystal clear throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament. Let me just share with you a couple of verses that teach us this. Okay, Romans 8.1. So there is no condemnation. There is no judgment, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And how do you belong to Christ Jesus? By placing your trust in him. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 18. 
It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And then Colossians 1, verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Can you imagine standing before the throne of God without a single fault? How in the world could that ever be true of you and I? Well, it couldn't be true in and of ourselves. But in the eyes of God, for those of us who've trusted in Christ, we stand before him and we are blameless. We are perfect. We're without a single fault. And it's because of the great exchange that took place on the cross. Christ took our sin, our imperfection, and gave us his righteousness, his perfection. So we stand before God reconciled. We stand before God in a loving relationship. And we become people who truly are in relationship with him. And so I want to close things out by asking two questions. The first is this. Have you received the gift of reconciliation for yourself? Now, I'm not saying, do you know about the gift of reconciliation? Because maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've been around this kind of uh, uh, stuff all your life. Maybe you're a newbie. Maybe you're checking out church in the Bible for the first time. But you know what? Knowing about it isn't enough. You receive it by placing your trust in Jesus Christ. And so it begins with understanding your need. You've got to understand you are helpless. You've got to understand you are a sinner. You've got to understand that you're even an enemy of God. And I forgot to cover that point the first time we went over it, didn't I, Adam? Exactly, I forgot it. But not only are we called helpless and we're called sinners, but we're actually called enemies of God. That's the level of hostility or the chasm that exists between us and God before we come to Christ. And so we got to start there and understand we are helpless, we are sinners, we are even enemies of God. But once you acknowledge those things, it opens the way to receive the gift of reconciliation. You're not going to get saved until you think you need to be saved. You're not going to get forgiven until you recognize you need to be forgiven. And so to receive the gift of reconciliation, it starts with understanding your need and then understanding where the reconciliation comes from. It doesn't come through you becoming a better person, turning over a new leaf, making New Year's resolutions that'll make you a better person. Nope. None of those things will cut it. None of those things could get you where you need to go. Understanding that it's through the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection that secures our reconciliation. And so I want to encourage you, receive that gift if you haven't. You can cross the line of faith right now. You can belong to Christ right now by stop trusting in all the things you've tried trusting in before to make your way towards God and realize that Jesus has done all the work. Salvation, reconciliation, isn't something you achieve. It's something you receive. And it's a gift. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift. We love gifts. So take this gift out of God's hands. I hope you've received the gift of reconciliation. So 
First question, have you received the gift of reconciliation for yourself? And the second question I want to close with is, are you sharing the gift of reconciliation with others? Now that you have it, have you told your spouse? Have you told your kids, your grandkids? Have you told the people you work with day in, day out, Monday through Friday, the people you go to school with, the people you live around? You see, God has now charged us. Hey, satisfied customer, go out there and tell others about what I've done for you. And I'll tell you what, there is no plan B. God's strategy for bringing the gift of reconciliation to the world is satisfied customers. That means you, that means me. And if we don't do it, who will? You see, the people God has placed in our life that don't know him yet, that's God's sovereign hand that you know that person, that that person knows you. And God is setting circumstances up to where we can love them, we can begin praying for them, we can build relational bridges, and we have opportunities to tell our story and tell them about the God who loves them, the God who's provided for them, and the wonderful gift that Christ wants to give them. One of the ways we can do that is to invite people to join us here online each Sunday. Uh, I think Christmas is a time where people are typically more open to religious things than normal. And I think a lot of people this Christmas are going to be missing not being able to attend church in person. And so this is a perfect opportunity for you to share the link to, to our services with those around you and just invite them to join us. On Sundays, we're having two Christmas Eve services that will play at 4 o'clock and 11 o'clock, and you could invite somebody to join us on Christmas Eve. But I just want to challenge you to think about this. Who are you going to invite, and who is it you're praying for right now? Because the people God has placed in your life, they're there for a reason, so that you can share the gift of reconciliation. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing together this carol. Father God, we're humbled. We're amazed at your grace and your mercy in our lives. That, Father, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, you brought us life through Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you so much that you've provided all that we need in Jesus. And, Father, for that reconciliation that we could have never attained on our own, you give us as a gift. And so, God, thank you. For those of us who've received that gift, we humbly thank you. We acknowledge we didn't deserve it, but you love us anyway. And Father, for those who have yet to receive the gift, I pray even now they would cross the line of faith and that they would receive you, that they would trust in Christ. And Father, I pray as satisfied customers, you would motivate us to reach out that you'd motivate us to pray for those who don't know you, to build relational bridges with those who don't know you, that, Father, we would look for opportunities to share our story of the difference you've made in our lives. Uh, God, help us as a people, as a church, to be reaching out this Christmas to those who desperately need to know you and to hear the good news of Jesus. Father, we're grateful. And we pray all of these things in the name of your Son and our Savior. Amen. Let's sing together now.
going to go ahead and pray for our offering. But before we do that, uh, I just want to give you all a quick reminder about the Year in Giving Project. Uh, if you're new, uh, this may be um, a little different, but each December, uh, the church picks uh, something that we want to bless within our community and within our church that uh, we ask uh, for uh, donations for. And so this year, uh, there's a, a few different ways we are going to divide up the money that you'll see on our screen here. Uh, but the big overall goal is 25000 and that's above and beyond uh, what we normally tithe. And so I'd encourage you to, to take a look at that information. It's uh, really exciting this year. I think there's some really good things that we can do as a church to, to bless our community and to bless our congregation. Uh, and uh, if you want to make a gift, you can go to acchurch.org slash give uh, to do that. And now will you join me in praying for the offering? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us. Sometimes during seasons like this where life is not going like we all kind of want it to and things have been a little bit harder than normal, it's, sometimes it's easy to forget how blessed we truly are. And yet, God, we pray that you would remind us of uh, the many ways that you have been there for us over and over and over again. And uh, God, we just ask that uh, you would use these gifts that we give back to you uh, to impact your kingdom, that they would have an impact within our, the doors of this church, uh, as well as our community and, and, the, and the entire world. Uh, God, we lift all these up to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus May the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Serve him. All righty, and we are back with week three of ACC Advent. Hashtag scattered together. Let's dig into week three. We have an angel ornament. We are going to make a beautiful angel here with the burlap. And so you need a couple things that are not already in your kit. And those things are a plastic shopping bag like you'd get from a grocery store. I think this one's from Walmart. Um, you need uh, some scissors right here. You need a ruler or a tape measure. You need tape right here and hot glue right here. So let's get into it. Step one is you're going to roll this bag up really, really tightly, like as tight into a ball as you can. You want it to be really round because this is gonna be the angel's head. All right, so it's really small and really round. And now you're going to use your tape and you're going to secure it into a small little ball. And there we go, we have an angel's head. Alrighty, so we're gonna take the angel's head and we're gonna put it roughly two inches right here from the burlap. And now we are going to wrap it. Well, you wanna make sure you keep it tight, all right? Now, once we get here, we are going to pinch this and kind of fold it in a little bit like that. And now we are going to tie it with the long twine. Tie it as tight as you can. Alrighty, and now we're gonna form the body of the angel. And so how this is gonna work is you're gonna do kinda like you're doing a paper airplane where you kinda, you, you fold it together like that so it's making a, a triangular shape. Now you fold these kind of inside, like so. And now we're gonna flip this up to the top. You gotta put it a little bit above where the knot was and now we are going to uh, Tie this again around the angel. And now from the front side, now we kind of have the angel's body going on. And now I know it doesn't look too angelic yet, uh, but we are going to create the wings next. Alrighty, so as we um, are making the wings here, we're gonna fold it kind of like an accordion. So we're gonna go back and forth on these folds here. All right, and once we folded it like an accordion, we're now gonna pinch the middle 
And now these can kind of fan out and they kind of look like angel's wings. You see that? And so we are gonna put this on the back of the head right here. And we're gonna tie the, the long twine once more to have these wings on the back of the angel. Now we straighten that out a little bit. And we'll look at that. We got an angel with some wings. Alrighty, and now we are putting the halo on the angel. So we're gonna wrap our silver pipe cleaner into a circle and wrap them around like so. We're gonna put a little bit of hot glue on the back side of it. And put that on the back of the angel's head. Therefore, creating the halo. Lastly, we are going to take these smaller twine and create a loop in the back to hang it on the tree. An angel. <laughs>